those servants arriving were close, were close to achieving our goal. But, Dr. Krasno, the world is in chaos. The smog is thick and yellow and smells and tastes like an overripe brie. What's the point of gulping all this electricity when the world's economy has collapsed? Janie, oh Janie, my sweet, sweet chief scientific officer, do you doubt me now that victory is in sight? The very last Bitcoin will be created in just a few moments. And you begin to doubt me? Shame on you. It's about to come into existence, the final block of the blockchain of destiny. Welcome to the South Mims U podcast. That was a clip from a forthcoming blockbuster movie made here in our very own sleepy Hertfordshire village, and it's called The Bitcoin Apocalypse. It's the story of a certain Dr. Conrad Krasno, a slightly unhinged Bitcoin enthusiast and cryptographic genius who is desperately trying to mine the very last Bitcoin before his deadly rivals do. Mining Bitcoin takes a huge amount of computing power, which in turn sucks up a lot of energy. And the movie is set as climate change comes to a terrible tipping point at some point in the future, when the world's atmosphere resembles a toxic sauna of gases. But the race to get that very last Bitcoin doesn't stop, and finally tips humanity over the edge, and into the dystopian world of anarchy that has long been predicted by not just terrible movies, but the world's scientists too. And for what? To be the proud owner of a string of code that's supposed to be worth a lot of money? It's madness. In this episode, we're going to talk about the reality behind that very bad movie. What is Bitcoin? How do you mine it when it's just ones and zeros born from a mathematical problem and held in existence inside a digital brain? And why is there a last Bitcoin? There isn't a last dollar or pound or euro or one, or even a last grain of gold. But Bitcoin, it seems, is utterly finite. There can only be 21 million of them. At least, that's what we're told. Bitcoin is, in truth, just a made-up thing. But it sparked a wildfire of speculation and sucked up billions of ordinary currencies into a roller coaster market fueled by mania. Here's another clip from the movie. It's a scene when Krasno's assistant, Janie, bemoans the true cost of mining that last Bitcoin. All right, there it is. There's that last Bitcoin. It's just gobbledygook and... And now the power's gone out. The wildfires are raging outside. We just had a smoke tornado take away half the street. But you have the last Bitcoin. You're getting hysterical. Of course I'm getting hysterical. Our world is in ruins and, and you think you're rich. I am rich. I have the final Bitcoin and it is worth... It is worth... Uh, oh, Coinbase has gone down again. Of course it has, you idiot. Nothing works anymore because we destroyed the world. I was about to tweet about my triumph to all my followers. Oh, I hate you. Oh, oh. 
Well, the acting leaves a lot to be desired, and the plot is, um, incoherent, is probably the best word to describe it, but the premise is strangely fascinating. It reminds me of the myths surrounding what happened on Easter Island, where the mysterious but iconic giant heads stand in glorious isolation on a land stripped of its trees. It's a symbol of ecocide, man's destruction of his own habitat, which leads to his own demise. We'll get to Easter Island soon, but first, let's explain the deal with Bitcoin and why it's limited to 21 million coins. To find out, I spoke with author and tech critic David Gerrard. He wrote one of the best books on the madness of cryptocurrency, The Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain, and recently published his critique of Facebook's attempt to create its own coin, Libra Shrugged, How Facebook Tried to Take Over the Money. Here's what he told me. The way Bitcoin works is... They wanted to have a strictly limited number of Bitcoins because they had weird economic theories. Because Bitcoin is all about trying to come up with something you could use as digital money that makes a particular political viewpoint on money happen. So they decided it had to have a limited supply. There would be 21 million of them. And they'd be parceled out very slowly over the course of about... 130 years altogether. So the last Bitcoin will be mined in 2140. So that's completely determined in the code for Bitcoin. It could go faster or slower along the way. The way it works is if it speeds up, then there's a correction. So it'll slow down the next time period. On average, it'll keep mining fresh Bitcoins until 2140. And then there'll be no more new Bitcoins. So how do we make the Bitcoins? They make them by a process called mining. This is supposed to be analogous to gold mining because they wanted to make this a sort of digital gold. They wanted to have the sentiment and power of gold. No one believes this except other Bitcoiners. The way mining works is it's a great big guessing game. You'll see newspapers say, and then they do complex calculations to mine the Bitcoin. They're not complex. They are simple calculations. What you do is you guess a number. Then you get a block of Bitcoin transactions waiting to go through and you combine your number with the transactions in a particular way. You take a hash of it, it's called. And if the number you get from that is small enough, you win the Bitcoins. And if it isn't, you guess again. And you just guess numbers as fast as you can trying to win the Bitcoins in this 10-minute Bitcoin lottery. So the way you compete on this is to get, have more computers guessing more numbers faster. This obviously leads to competition, and this leads to people adding more and more computers to guess numbers and try to win the Bitcoin lottery, to the point where Bitcoin now uses about 0.1 to 0.5% of all the electricity in the world, about as much as the country of Austria. This is to power the world's most inefficient payment system, the most inefficient payment system in human history. Because there are only so many transactions that can fit in um, one 10-minute block of transactions. So there's a cost per transaction which is paid by the Bitcoin miners selling the Bitcoins they win when they win them. And it's most ridiculously kludgy and inefficient system. The reason they do this is because they wanted to have a method of Bitcoin issuance and Bitcoin transaction processing that was completely out of any central control. The limit on the number of Bitcoins is because Bitcoin economics, use, it uses various bizarre economic ideas that don't actually work. 
But when something absolutely cannot possibly work, you'll find people who like it just because they want to feel different. So Bitcoin's one of those. The way it works is it's based in the theories of Austrian economics, which is basically being a gold bug. People who think we need to go back to a rigid gold standard, uh, where all the money is strictly backed by a certain amount of gold. So we ran on that standard from about the late 1700s up to about the 1930s, and the last bits of it were shed in 1971. It doesn't work anymore. If this last Bitcoin is going to be mined in 100 ye- 130 years, I think you said, um, what would happen after it's mined? Well, that's a good question, and I'm not sure they've got an answer. They think that it'll be a fee-based economy at that stage. The thing about Bitcoin is a lot of these ideas don't really stand up to examination. So you go, wait, that doesn't make sense. I must be understanding it wrong. No, it's actually stupid. The power then would be in the people who own the Bitcoin at that point, whether it be in 100 or 200 years' time or even in 50 years' time, and they imagine there'd be no other currencies left and therefore all the power, financial power, would, would, would rest with the owners of Bitcoin. Is that right? That's the idea. So this is like a power play by libertarians. It always was. People don't understand that Bitcoin just wastes electricity. It is literally just waste. It's called proof of work. It should be called proof of waste because you're literally trying to prove your commitments by wasting power, more power than anyone else. There's nothing complex going on. It is literally a guessing game to win Bitcoins in an automatic lottery. That is what they're actually doing. David mentioned how much power Bitcoin mining consumes. To try and get a more accurate handle on that, I spoke to the man who looks after our very own data centre here in South Mims, Rutherford Tyler. Um, Thanks for taking the time to talk to me, Rutherford. That's okay. Though, can I correct you on just one point? Oh, well, please do. Uh, We're not in South Mims. Our data centre is located in Iceland. Oh, Is it? Well, that's news to me. Well, many data centres are. The thousands of servers need a lot of power to cool them, which takes up a lot of electricity in warm or even temperate climates. That's why many data centres are hosted here in Iceland. Iceland is also blessed with very cheap geothermal power. That cuts costs, and it's better for the environment too. Okay, so you actually live in Iceland too, do you? Yes, I'm married to a nice Icelandic lady, Sigrun Sigursdottir. She's also head of human geography at South Mims U. Oh, really? Well, I didn't know that. Okay, so you might have heard uh, of the new movie that's been made here in South Mims. Ah, yes. I hear it's a pile of, well, fossilised odour. Well, that's an interesting way to put it. The oldest story in the book, and even though it's a fossil, it still stinks. Well, luckily, we're not reviewing the film. What we are doing is examining its premise. Indeed, that the mining of Bitcoin might be the straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of climate change. Yes, yes, there's merit in that hypothesis. Does Bitcoin mining really use up that much electricity? Well, there are estimates, um, specifically from the University of Cambridge, which has a special tool that measures the impact of cryptocurrencies on the climate. And what does it show? It estimates that Bitcoin, its mining, storage and all the transactions associated with it, could use as much energy as the whole of Switzerland. Or as David Gerard says in your interview with him, as much as Austria. But that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? 
Bitcoin might be using up around seven gigawatts of electricity. That's a fifth of a percent of all the world's supply. A fifth of a percent? Not 0.21% to be precise, <laughs> although that amount fluctuates. Again, it's hard to estimate. People also say it can be as high as 0.5%. Still, that doesn't sound like a lot. OK, well, well, it's not the point. If it were 20% of all energy, that would get headlines. But we're talking about one last straw placed ever so lightly on the proverbial camel's back. And then the camel collapses in a heap and expires. It's a symbol of our folly as a species. How so? Well, we, we create an imaginary form of value from a string of numbers, Bitcoin, and people rush for it. And then other people create competitors, new cryptocurrencies. Greed makes people suck up more and more computing power to create more imaginary value. Well, in the end, all money is imaginary. Isn't that right? Yes, it is. It's a state of mind, which is why you can use cowrie shells or beans as money if you want to. The other person in an exchange just needs to acknowledge that the thing you're using has value and you have money. So crypto is no different. I mean, what's wrong with that? Crypto makes people mad and smug. OK, but you're not going to stop them trying to make more Bitcoin if people, like you say, are willing to see the numbers as something with actual value. That's true. And again, it's the folly of man. And it's usually men. So the rush to mine new Bitcoin by pumping computer power into the blockchain and doing what they call proof of work or proof of stake sucks up resources in terms of the equipment itself, which of course has what's called an embodied carbon footprint. Right. All the resources that go into making and shipping the tech itself. That's right, is it? Yes, yes, that's right. But more importantly, as it gets harder and harder to mine Bitcoin, then you have to pump more and more power in trying to do it. That uses more electricity, more energy, and it becomes a death spiral. And that's what's depicted in the film. So getting the last Bitcoin will take a huge amount of energy. It will, because so many people will want it. Limiting the number of official Bitcoin to 21 million is just a way of ensuring that you can dupe people into thinking it's valuable and inflating the price of original Bitcoins. You know, a million of them are rumoured to be held by Satoshi Nakamoto himself, if indeed it is an individual man or woman or a cabal of nerds somewhere. Well, no one knows, and we can't be sure exactly why they did it. I have a theory. It's a gamer in some basement who, like the inventor of QAnon conspiracy, did this as some kind of clever nerdy joke, and it took off. It's just random. And it worked. That's how random works. And humans are stupid enough and greedy enough to fall for them. And that, in the last analysis, is the straw that will break humanity's back. Stupidity. Well, Rutherford, that was very illuminating. You're welcome, you're welcome. It's time for my scare with wild blueberries. Goodbye. The straw that breaks a society's back is, as Rutherford put it, and as David Gerrard stressed, often something stupid, some myth, 
some sociopathic leader, some fad or fantasy which purports to explain everything, and cryptocurrency enthusiasts often become fanatical about how Bitcoin will solve every one of the world's problems, from inflation to poverty to even climate change. Can we learn something from what happened on Easter Island, though? To help us find out, I have on the line our reader in Ecoside Studies, Carter Finch. Hi, Carter. Hi, great to talk to you. Now, you're an expert on Ecoside. What is that exactly? It's quite simple. It's the destruction of the natural environment by deliberate or negligent human action. Only human action? In that definition, yes. There are some species who end up destroying the environment they depend on, but that's pretty rare, and it's not deliberate. But what do you mean? They don't know what they're doing, the animals I mean. They just do what they do, and it can have a bad effect on the environment around them. But then natural selection takes over, and they either stop doing whatever it is detrimental to their species, or they die out. They have no consciousness of the harm they're causing. But humans do, right? Oh, they do. We know that we are destroying our habitat, and we're finding it extremely hard to stop ourselves doing it. The story of Easter Island is often used as a kind of parable, isn't it? It is. That's a good way of putting it. It's become a parable because, of course, reality turns out to be far more complicated than the story we think is true. OK, we'll get into that, but let's start with the parable. Sure. It started when the island, which is in the southeastern Pacific close to Chile, was discovered by Westerners, at least, in 1722. They landed on this small island, it's just 64 square miles, and they found these monumental stone heads just standing there, in rows, in clusters, lots of them, huge strange faces staring out to the horizon. That image quickly became iconic, didn't it? They did. They are called Moai, and they're beautiful. But who made them? How did they make them? How did they get them down from where the stone was quarried to the lowlands and beaches of the island? Well, it must have been a big collective effort. It must have been. But quickly the theory arose that Easter Island was once densely wooded, and that the only way to move the heads was to use tree trunks to roll them down, or to roll the blocks of stone down to where they could be carved and then displayed. Didn't Jared Diamond use this story as the basis for his approach to the story of Ecoside? Yes, Jared Diamond is a renowned author, and his theory brought the story to a new audience not so long ago, and it was used as a parable, warning us that we're doing the same thing to our entire planet. OK, so the story was that there was um, what we could call a stonehead mania on Easter Island, and different factions competed to make bigger and better ones, and they cut down all the cheese to facilitate that mania. And that meant society collapsed because it destroyed the island's ecosystem. That's the parable, yes. But careful archaeological and historical research shows the island didn't lose its forest quickly and that the decline of the population owed more to the activities of Western slave traders than a competition between them to make those heads. But we can draw a parallel between the story, the heads which must have represented a great deal of value in terms of social status and power, and cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, which do the same thing. It's an interesting approach. 
it might not add up when you really look into the true story of Easter Island, but it's a great analogy, another parable, only this time it might be more accurate. Have you seen the movie, Bitcoin Apocalypse? I've seen clips. I'm beginning to think I recognise your voice. Hmm, do you play Dr. Conrad Krasno? I mean, it's someone with a bad accent who can't act, but there's something about your voice. No, 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 it's not me, I can assure you. Okay, if you say so. And can I ask, you are a real person, aren't you? Oh, I take that silence as um, a little bit ambiguous. Anyway, thank you, Carter. That's been fascinating. My pleasure. Goodbye, Conrad. Ha, 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 ha. I really do think that that wasn't a real person. Um, What I can say is that I am not an actor and I was not in that film. I mean, if I were an actor, I wouldn't have taken part in this terrible B-movie. But it, you never know, might become one of those it's-so-bad-it's-great classics, like the 1959 movie Plan 9 from Outer Space. Well, that's what I'm hoping. I mean, uh, that's what the makers are hoping. The message of the movie, though, is important. Our mad, greedy rush to use the alchemy of electricity to turn digital ones and zeros into gold can only lead to annihilation for the entire human race. If the Easter Island story is a myth, and it probably is, the one thing we need to take from the existence of the myth itself, that somewhere deep down inside of us, there's a realisation that we're on the wrong path. We need to do something to go in a new direction, and maybe seeing through the myth of Bitcoin will be our chance to not only avoid placing that final straw on the camel's back, but relieving it of the weight it's already carrying. Let's end with a last clip from the movie. And thank you for listening. There's nothing left. It's all gone. No, no. I have my digital wallet. The last Bitcoin is here, in here. But the entire grid is gone. There's no electricity anymore. And the wildfires are approaching fast. Admit it, Krasno. It's over. It's all over. I have the Bitcoin. I just need... um, uh, Why doesn't this work? I need to power up my wallet and sell it on Coinbase. Coinbase is gone. Society is gone. There's no such thing as money anymore. People are taking payment in turnips. Turnips? It was all folly. All human history, from the pyramids to the Parthenon and Trump Tower. The utter folly of humankind. Turnips, turnips. If I could just get this thing to work, we could create our own new crypto. Turnip coin, pitnip, turn coin. You are the stupidest doctor I ever met, Krasno. Did you know that? It's an old battery. If I plug it into my laptop... Idiot. Like Marshall McLuhan said, on Spaceship Earth, we're not passengers. We are crew. It's over.